Imagine that you're able to carry on simultaneous conversations with two members of your species, one right next to you and the other one several miles away. Listen to the language, intricate patterns of clicks, whistles, squeaks, and groans. Sounds subtle enough to convey complicated factual data, complex enough perhaps to deal with abstractions, what we would call ideas. What about their speaking in English? Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IMMP podcast from the Intermillennium Media Project. My name is Matthew Porter. And I'm Ian Porter. I'm his dad. He's my son. And uh, it's still summertime. It's still summertime. People are still thinking about all these summer activities. Last time it was summer camp. I think this time we're going to the beach. Yeah, the beach, the ocean, the waves. We're going to talk about what I always think of as a summertime movie, and then some, that I made Ian watch this week. Ah, yes. We are talking about Day of the Dolphin. Excuse me, The Day of the Dolphin. Every time I tried to search for this movie, I learned that definite article is very important. Ah, yes. Released December 23rd, 1992 for the Sega... Wait a minute. I'm thinking Echo. Not why did this? Why did this movie do nothing but make me think of Sega games? I'm starting us out immediately into whatever it is that got me. I'm warning all of our audience... This is the most video game-like non-video game movie I've ever seen somehow. This is what I get for uh, for sh- showing you this movie right after we watch uh, the Sonic 2 movie. Yes, exactly. I don't know why it is, but this movie... There's something about the structure, there's something about the way this movie presents itself that feels like, like it's levels. Like we go from the... The the different tanks are different levels in a game. There's a big final mission. It's wild. That is interesting. I find that very interesting because that is exactly very, very much my reaction to a different movie that we watched this week. But we'll talk about that <laughs> another time. Okay, yeah. But that's interesting. You thought the Day of the Dolphin was very video gamey and the way it was structured? Something about it. I don't know what it was, but it kept making me think of those. And so I wanted to warn the audience immediately about the references I want to make. <laughs> First of all, yeah, this is this is a weird movie about vaguely scientific craziness in an also kind of altered states way. Interesting that you mention Altered States, because this is largely inspired, or partly inspired, by the work of Dr. John C. Lilly, a neuroscientist whose whose interests went way beyond that. And his work is a big part of what inspired Altered States. And his work with dolphins, and dolphins as attempting to communicate with dolphins in an exploration of non-human cognition— was a big inspiration for the Day of the Dolphin. That makes some sense. So I like the fact that you picked up on that similarity with Altered States. Okay. So this actu- this movie actually came out on December 19th uh, in 1973. It came out in December? Yes, which is weird because it's a very summery movie. And I remember seeing it in the summertime. 
I'm guessing it got like a re-release or something because it seemed so out of place for when they put it out. That may be. I'm not sure that I saw it. I know I didn't see it in December of, of 1973. 73. Maybe it was the summer of 1974 because I remember this as the first grown-ups movie that I saw in a movie theater. So really, this gets that. I probably title? was eight or nine years old when I saw this. Uh, <sighs> it wasn't a kids' movie. It had a swear word in it. It was exciting. Oh. It had animals. I, doing I don't. Cool I don't things. remember where that word was. It had scientists. It was. It was really a pretty big deal for me. It, it made a, a bigger impression on me than I am betting it made on most of the people who saw it. Yeah. How to properly explain this movie? Because I feel like we're either going to go into really deep depths or we're going to go like super skimming across the surface kind of story, which makes sense for an ocean movie that it's either a, a dive or nothing. But, <laughs> uh, I'm going to try doing one of my quick summaries. Man teaches dolphins to talk. Bad guys steal dolphins to attempt to plant a bomb. Bad guys fail. Yeah, that's about right. Pretty that's, much that's that. That's a good summary. That's a pretty good summary of this movie. And I'm not worried too much about spoilers. Yes, there will be plenty of spoilers. But the poster for this movie had, most of the poster was the big block letter yellow text. Unwittingly, he trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. <laughs> Dang, like, talk about. We want to get people in the theater and we want to make it very clear what they're going to get when they get here. I mean, yeah, that is like, that is the opposite of false advertising. It is like <laughs> everything on the tin is in this film. Although there's also a whole lot more like found family social drama going on in an almost Fast and Furious kind of way, because this guy has trained one dolphin to talk and the dolphin is kind of a son to him. No question. No question. And then there's this entire, like, kid rebelling against the parent and, like, who do you trust in the family? And then disaster brings them all together kind of thing. It, it's a family picture. Very, very much in many ways in different levels. The, the movie stars George C. Scott as Dr. Jake Terrell. And Trish Vandeveer as his wife, Maggie Terrell. And they are the, the lead scientists in, in this project. But they have this whole group of young people who I gather are students, interns, aspiring scientists, and marine biologists. And that group of humans is kind of a family with the Terrells as their, their parents, their, the head of this family. And then there's the dolphin family. And the dolphins are kind of siblings to the younger scientists and interns. And the dolphins, when they can talk, they refer to the Terrells as Ma and Pa. Yeah. It's very, and it's about what responsibility do they have for family and for what they teach family. Yeah, because the, it starts out with the fact that, like, he's presenting the idea that we could try to teach a dolphin. Where we could understand dolphins, and they've kept the fact that they actually have a dolphin that can talk secret. 
And it first starts out looking like it's just going to be this spy thriller about someone trying to sneak in and get the information out about the fact that they've actually trained this dolphin to do this. And he's trying to keep that a secret, not just from the, the larger world, from anybody outside of his project. He's keeping it secret from the Franklin Foundation, which is this shadowy philanthro- philanthropic uh, organization that is funding all of his, re- his research. And even they don't know what it is he's doing there and what he's managed to accomplish. And from there, it becomes a different thing because they've added another dolphin in to give Alpha a a friend and a potential mate. Yeah, he's that, getting rambunctious as he gets older, and they figure he needs he needs a mate. He needs to grow up. The kid starts dating. <laughs> and interesting that Alpha, the first dolphin that they they teach to speak, was born in captivity, and they have a a captured dolphin from the wild who they bring in as a potential mate, and they they hit it off very well. They hit it off very well, and. He stops speaking to anyone else in the family, which very much upsets them, and that's a big point of contention, until there's this dramatic kind of climax of the fight between them, and he starts talking again, and she starts talking, because he's taught her how to speak human. And he stopped talking because she was teaching him how to speak dolphin. Yeah. He was really only interested in talking with her, so why would he bother speaking English to the humans? And so now there's suddenly this little moment of the, oh, he can teach her. We might have not just taught a dolphin how to speak. We might have taught all dolphins how to speak. <laughs> this is, this is communicable. This is, this is a whole thing. Now, one of the, eventually he does have to come clean and essentially tell the foundation what it is he's done there. And one of the questions he gets from them is, could they teach other dolphins if we just released them? Terrell's answer to that is, no, if they were out in the wild, they would just revert to their usual means of communication among one another. I'm not 100% sure that's the case. It depends on how well-rooted this English speaking is. Is this movie a prequel to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? <laughs> it very well could be. Because that explains an entire musical number. <laughs> well, I don't know. The if, if it were a prequel to Hitchhiker's Guide, the the dolphins could have just come out and said so long for it and thanks for all the fish, instead of the complicated acrobatics that they made in in an attempt to say so long and thanks for all the fish. Good point. <laughs> Or maybe the one dolphin who still remembered how to speak English was in a bad mood and just wouldn't do it, so somebody else had to do it in a more complicated way. And I do want to point out that a lot of the human actors get credited, but the dolphins, Buck and Ginger, and Robert Lydard as the voice of Alpha when he's speaking English, do a lot in this. This is some excellent uh, animal acting. And it is amazing how subtle and accurate and properly alien the voice acting as Alpha is. Because it's got, it almost has that same weird little warble you get in like actual dolphin noises or in people doing underwater sound effects. 
for some reason, I kept thinking of the the guy who voices SpongeBob doing the little thing <laughs> with his throat to be able to get the laugh right. It's got that same like weird up and down effect going on. I wonder to what extent is that just the acting? To what extent is that some sound processing later on? But you're right. It's very, very effective. It's understandable, and yet it is so not human sounding. And if I, I understand correctly, there is a little bit of puppetry involved in some of the close-up scenes with the dolphins, but there's a lot of just dolphin work and good editing. Yeah, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of times where there's some quick cuts when they're going to and from the dolphin talking. And I think that's because they're kind of matching lip flaps out of a longer sequence of get, just getting like the dolphin chewing on a fish. <laughs> and you can get a lot of like, if you can get him going up and down the right sequence of times, you can cut back to the person in a shot reverse shot. And it looks like the dolphin is mouthing the words. And Terrell's motivation in doing this just seems to be the pure, can we do it? The pure science of it. The, and also what, what we can learn about ourselves and about the world if we can communicate with another species. And apparently it's easier to teach dolphins how to speak English than it is to teach um, humans how to understand dolphin. Which, which he says with such a casual nature during one of the things that it very much implies they tried the reverse as well. Yes, yes. And yet his, his one concern about secrecy is he just doesn't want it to become a, a freak show. He doesn't want it to become some overhyped, misunderstood sensation. It's a disease and it can kill alpha and beta. And how's it going to do that? By turning them into valuable properties. By putting their pictures on T-shirts and cereal boxes. By signing them up with record companies. By naming a restaurant chain after them. Christ, I don't know. He'll end up with a high-priced agent in a saltwater swimming pool in Beverly Hills. Yeah, he's, he's trying to avoid them becoming a sideshow kind of thing. But there's more going on, as, as you suggested, Ian, when it becomes kind of a spy versus spy situation. When Paul Sorvino shows up. Paul Sorvino, sadly, passed away recently. Um, a really good role in this. Because he seems like he is clearly the bad guy. Oh yeah, he is he he immediately plays shady so powerfully. He is blackmailing people in the Franklin Foundation to get access to Terrell and visit his laboratory and then he's sneaking around trying to find out what's what. He's he's calling people out when they try to divert him because he knows enough from his research to to catch them in a lie and to kind of leverage that against them. As to which dolphin is which, because when they find out that the, the foundation that provides the money is insisting that they let this guy come and tour their facility, they hide away Fa and, uh, and B so that no one, so that the, this visitor can't find out that they've got talking dolphins. And he knows that they're lying about who's who as far as the dolphins go. Yeah. And this is all during the, like, they're not talking, some of the they're not talking to us drama stuff overlaps with this. So there's this whole internal struggle and external struggle bouncing back and forth. But it turns out that Paul, Paul Sorvino's character isn't so clearly the bad guy. He is one of many factions out there within the government and related to the government who are vying for power with one another. And he is kind of there to intercept what the worse guys or the real bad guys are doing. 
which is they want to use these dolphins. Because a dolphin that can speak is a dolphin that can understand. And a dolphin that can understand is a dolphin that can be given a command. A command like the one suggested in the movie poster, to kill the president of the United States. Yeah. Now, they don't just give the dolphin a gun and say, go kill the president. Although, Which would be an amazing different <laughs> movie. They- oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is a different thing. Oh, no. They're, their method is a little bit more understandable, but a little bit more wild and weird, I think. Because they've got a harness that fits a dolphin that hooks up a homemade wired like bomb with a magnetic trigger on the top of it. So they've like a imagine a dolphin dolphin with a curling stone on a backpack. <laughs> and then they're tr- telling the dolphin which flag to go after so that it can swim up to the president's boat. Stick the magnet bomb onto the hull and then swim away and blow up the president once the timer finishes. Now, it seems to me that none of that actually required the dolphin to be able to talk. (laughs) Yes. They start out with Paul Sorvino's character in, I think, some other locations, seeing how dolphins have been trained. And you, you show a dolphin a shape, the dolphin can go find that shape. And probably he's figuring, well, somebody shows a dolphin a flag, they can go find that flag. They don't actually need talking dolphins. Isn't it better to have non-talking dolphins? Exactly. Because one of the issues becomes later, once the dolphins have done this job for us, they're witnesses. They could squeal. Literally. So- <laughs> like, that's the problem. It literally makes more issues for them to steal high-profile dolphins that can pick you out from a lineup. Like, that's a problem. <laughs> this is something doable by, like, one di- guy in a scuba tank or by a normal dolphin. And it seems to me that they're... Now, they're, I can understand why they were using dolphins, because marine life is going to be able to get into this secured cove where the president is fishing when a human diver or a submarine or something wouldn't be able to. But... Yeah, it's it seems to me like it would be much better with a a non-talking dolphin. Now maybe the suggestion is that these talking dolphins are more intelligent than your average dolphin and will be able to carry out this mission more effectively than an, an average dolphin. But Terrell's point seems to be not that these are remarkably intelligent dolphins, just that all dolphins are a lot smarter than you probably think they are. They're an intelligent species, and if we put in the work to teach them our language, they can learn it. Yeah, smart dolphins, not the smartest criminals. Yeah, I mean, he got th- these are dolphins that got really good verbal SAT scores. That doesn't make them the best dolphin athletes or, or military p- dolphins out there. Yeah. And I'm just here like, I know that this feels like something out of a James Bond film, but... This this movie did nothing but make me think of Sega games, and all I've got in my head is this rising sound of this peppy little music that I listened to over and over as a fox in a go-kart and a bat in a go-kart each tried to hunt down the president's limo, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, why is this dolphin doing a mission out of Sonic Adventure 2? I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> 
but he f they've given this dolphin this sassy personality this entire time and had him interact with the government and it's all i can think so this is giving you the sonic the hedgehog echo the dolphin crossover you never knew you needed yes <laughs> All I need is like a reference to Golden Axe, and we've got <laughs> we've got the Sega Supreme team going on here. I miss the Chow Garden. And as as straightforward as this plot that we've laid out is, it's really presented very craftily because there are a lot of twists and turns in terms of who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, who's a temporary good guy because he's not as bad as the real bad guys. And all of that is is developed and revealed pretty well, I think. And that's not too surprising, given who was involved in making this movie. This was made by uh, Mike Nichols and written by Buck Henry. Hmm. And Mike Nichols had previously made The Graduate. And Buck Henry co-wrote The Graduate with Nichols. The fact that the writer for this, though, is one of the co-creators of Get Smart, <laughs> makes sense because this does end on a like after being this this james bond or more modernly because of the family aspects this very fast and furious kind of action story it ends with the it ends with the dolphins putting the bombs on the bad guy's boat and wrapping everything up in a rather neat little explosion based bow <laughs> in something that feels more like it's written by a comedy writer. And that's accurate. It is. And and Buck Henry has had a lot of breadth as an actor, performer, writer. Uh, he, for the longest time, he had the record for the most episodes of Saturday Night Live hosted by you know, their, their guest host. It became a tradition early in Saturday Night Live for him to host the last episode of the season. And so, yeah, he's well known for comedy, but also for... For more serious screenwriting, did a lot of work with uh, with Mike Nichols, and you know, they knew how to craft a movie. They knew how to hit those beats, how to develop an act, leave you with something to shoot you into the next act. And there is this: the we want to keep it secret. No, somebody's going to find out. So we need to tell. We need to get in front of it and tell the foundation what we're doing here. Turns out the foundation heads are the bad guys who want to kill the president, and it turns out that that. Uh, Sorvino's character is trying to help stop that. This movie does have probably the best um, searching the place for bugs scene I've ever seen. Because there's it's a it's a fine line to be able to have all of your actors act scared and their characters talking acting normal. And having all of, like, two conversations going, one with the physical acting and one with the audio. And I closed my eyes for a moment, listening to some of those lines, and it was right. Yes, it, it was, was believable. absolutely right. It was believable because, you know, a guy comes in, holds up a note to tell them everything, but says something different. Everyone kind of, because they've become a team and a group and the the fractures in the family we were seeing before are being healed in a time of tension they all work together as a team and you watch everyone pace and say things while gesturing other actions and moving around to help and it's just really well done because there's this tension in that dissonance and they play it 
perfectly. It's it's right down the middle. And one thing that helped that scene too was the way that it was blocked and the way that it was shot. Like you say, it's it's Paul Sorvino uh, walking around this room, not with any bug detector or something, just with his knowledge, checking all the places. But he's got a little somebody box might. Thingy. Does he? I thought he uh, no, he, was he, just looking for. He's it. got a little like box thingy looking for something that's putting out radio signal. Oh, I didn't think I, I I didn't think he had one of those. Eventually, he did like see from across the room. Oh, that looks like a new intercom. Let's yeah, check that. He, he's like walking okay. up to a lamp. He's like putting this thing and watching if the light gets brighter. Oh, okay. And then he's okay. like checking each of those, and he's like, "Oh, I haven't checked that thing." And he goes right. over, and the light lights up, and he's just you know casually talking and consoling someone as he undoes this and pulls this bug out and holds it up. But the way the scene was shot, the way it was blocked, so much of this movie is has a big sense of scope. You're out on the ocean. You're out on the beach. You've got big bright spaces and here they're in this room in the villa where the Tyrells live and it's all of them in this small space and they feel they look like they're surrounded and something's closing in on them just because of the way they're placed physically the lighting is is dim and it gives you that claustrophobic feeling like you get in some shots of the thing from another world yeah and 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 the camera is getting lower and lower as they go and it, it it's brilliant in that. I I thought this was wonder wonderful cinematography. And then we go from that to, um, and that was I believe after the Terrells are tricked onto land so that to give some press conference. Turns out the press conference is canceled, but really it was just a way to get them out of the way so that the bad guys could scam a theft of the the dolphins. Dolphin napped. <laughs> And another theme through this is the idea of truth and lying. And the dolphins don't understand lying. They don't. They've got so this, it, this easy child, trick. Yeah, they've got this childlike understanding of, of truth, but also this very, very great way of just kind of cutting through a lot of the back and forth. If they're going to ask about something, they'll just ask. They'll respond. And they make a point to the fact that they're, they're four years old. And that is maybe a teenager in dolphin years, but it's still not a lot of time in which to learn how to communicate in a language with another species. And they just don't understand the idea of being told something that isn't true, which makes them easy to manipulate. Yeah, if you do this thing for me with the ball that I'm putting on your back and the flag I'm showing you, after that, you can see Paul because he's in the boat here. Of course he's not. But the dolphins don't know that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of also makes it a little uncertain when they when the dolphins turn on the bad guys at the end. Is that because the bad guys have just taught the dolphins lying? Have well, they have they taught the dolphins how to be deceptive? It's I, a little odd. I don't know about that, but I do know that it it only happens when when Terrell when Pa tells Fa some some difficult truths. Yeah. Because B is the one who has the ball and the bomb is going to plant it on the 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 president's boat. And Fa, Alpha, makes his way back to Terrell's beachside laboratory. And essentially it's the if something bad is happening, follow me and all this. And they figure out at around the same time Va comes back, what the plan is. 
that the president is going to be nearby, et cetera. And they're trying to follow Fa to get to the bad guys. He's leading them. They can't keep up with him. So instead, Terrell just kind of explains to Fa, you've got to go stop B. The ball is dangerous. The ball will hurt people. Don't have her do. Tell her not to do what the the people told her to do when they gave her the ball, because those people are bad and they're t- saying things that aren't true. So he like teaches them the idea that there are bad people and you should not necessarily listen to everyone you talk to. Yeah. Which is, it, it, and again, it's kind of a parenting moment because that's something that you want to protect a child from that as long as you can, but you're not being a good parent if you never share that lesson at the appropriate time. Yeah, they've got to kind of experience it, but they also need to know the things to do so. It's interesting. Once again, it's a very, very carefully balanced film in that sense. And yeah, again, spoilers. Fa does get to be and tell her not to do what uh, what she's going to do. And we see them communicating in Dolphin. He's not bothering to talk to, to B in English. He can talk to her much more effectively in Dolphin. But they leave the president's boat behind and go back to the bad guy's boat. And give them back their ball. <laughs> and that's where the swear word in this grown-up movie occurs. Oh, oh that's where it is, yes. <laughs> because one of the bad guys, they, they're, they're in, the, in their yacht waiting for the president's boat to be blown up. And they hear a thunk on the bottom of their boat. And they look out the window and they see the, the dolphin with the empty harness that used to contain the, the bomb. Swimming away <laughs> very quickly. And one bad word escapes and then... And then their boat blows up. Yeah, very very spectacularly. I think there was some budget used there. <laughs> I think so. So it's it's an easy plot to lay out, but it's an intricate plot to develop the way they developed it. Yeah. And in the end, even though the bad guys on that boat were blown up, it doesn't mean everyone is safe because they were part of a much bigger organization with a much, much bigger agenda Essentially, they know that these talking dolphins are witnesses and they need to do something about them. Yeah, this is like, I guess you go into the dolphin protection program now. <laughs> and that's kind of what Terrell, George C. Scott, has to convince them at the end. They have to convince, he has to convince the dolphins to go out into the ocean and live their lives. Because if you stay with us, people are going to hurt you. People are going to hurt us. We can't be together anymore. And it's one of these very emotional scenes out of love. He's saying things to get the dolphins to go away. Be free. It's one of those moments, which is a little. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a little overdone. It's a little little predictable, but they earned it also. They they did. That's the thing. They earned it. Doesn't mean it's not overdone or. <laughs> but Yeah. Mm. So this has been on on the list of movies to show you for a while. It is a but very. I figured it was a good summer movie because I'm I'm shocked to learn that it was released in December because I really think of it as a summertime movie. This is a very summer movie. <laughs> there were more re-releases in theaters back then. Before home video, a movie that did okay might get a a re-release, especially as um as a second part of a double feature. That might have been how I saw this. It might have been as the the second feature after a more popular movie the year after. I, I know what I want to do a double feature of this uh, on. What's that? I want to put this as a double feature with Life Aquatic. <laughs> that works. 
Uh, it it kind of does. There's something similar about these strange little group of, uh, you know, aquatic explorers. It it always comes back to Wes Anderson somehow. It, it really does. <laughs> but I think that might be moving us into our final questions. I think so. So it's a movie, screen or no screen. I'm really uncertain here. Oh, me too. Yeah, like, part of me says screen, but this would have to be one of those, like, in the background, like, I don't know why, this movie has very much, you know, you and your friends are here for playing Magic the Gathering Night, but you put something on, and maybe around a halfway point, someone is going to stop playing and just watch because they're confused. What did you put on this TV? But I'm, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel, it's a wonderfully made movie, but it's also... It's also slow and tone heavy at times, and I don't know if it's really as engaging as I want a modern movie to be. Yeah, it does have some pacing issues. It it does have some points where the imagery is it's a little too on the nose to the dialogue. Some things that are a little clumsier than I'm used to seeing in a Mike Nichols movie. But do yeah, do you like teal and gray? You will see a lot of teal oceans and gray concrete buildings, and there is not a lot in between. And that's the thing. That's why I can't, I wouldn't recommend this as a, a an in, in the background movie, because for me, I would do that with a movie that had interesting visuals, regardless of its plot, its characterizations. And we've talked about plenty of those. This movie, its value is in the development of this plot, in the revelations about these characters. If you're going to watch this, I'd say sit down and watch it. I, I, I guess. I guess I want to use this movie like, you know, cool dolphins to relax and study to. <laughs> this is this is that you know, you know, sit there and watch them deal with this going on in the background. I love lo-fi. <laughs> exactly. It's the lo-fi dolphin. <laughs> now I. I would say screen, have have the appropriate expectations, but yeah, screen. Okay. How do you feel? That- I, I guess I'm going that too. Yeah, I'm going with a, a low on my little subdivisions of grading screen. Halfway through watching this, I was thinking this was going to be a no screen. It's, you know, I had a good fond memory of this movie, but it's just not that engaging to watch. But it pulled me in in the second half. I still do want to play the puzzle platformer of this game. Because <laughs> you've got the entire thing of, you know, exploring the facility of the escort mission as far as you teach B the entire place back and they jump from pool to pool in this one dramatic bit. <laughs> you've got the outside missions where you're having to be trained by the bad guys and you've got the entire timer mission of putting the bomb on their boat and running away. There is an entire level structure in here. Where's my tie-in game? <laughs> Come on, Sega. I, why do I think this would be a pretty cool game for the play date? It would. Wouldn't oh. it? You move the dolphins around with the crank and you've got the little grayscale screen, which works okay for the ocean. That works really well. That would be a great game for that console. Ah, oh, dang. <laughs> Please, someone get on that because I can't program. All right. Well, since we've answered the first of our final questions, the, the next one is revive, reboot, or rest in peace. Oh, let's see. Reboot is making this movie again. I don't know why or what. I mean, if you do it now, there's other science to put in there, which makes it a little different. 
I guess you made a computer program that can translate dolphin. I don't know if it's the same. Re- Revive is odd because it kind of feels more like this is a, a a stealth sequel. Like you need a completely different story and it needs to keep referencing this group of scientists that they're using stuff from. And halfway through the film, army of talking dolphins, <laughs> army of talking dolphins come out of the sea and completely tell you that there's a bigger threat team up with us because like you've just sent these two out and they'll teach every other dolphin how to talk. And that's an entirely other movie, but I don't know. If if he weren't spending the rest of his life making Avatar movies, I could imagine James Cameron making a sequel to Day of the Dolphin in yeah. just that way. There's this 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 extended pod, this colony of bilingual dolphins somewhere out in the ocean keeping themselves hidden and they have a reason to come and find someone to communicate with, or someone stumbles upon them and learns their secret. Yeah, they, like, either one of those works, but it's a very, like, I don't know if it's, it would have to have such a weirdly dramatic different tone. I don't know if it really works as a sequel. <laughs> it's kind of that, like, you've moved out of the original bubble of style that the first one had into something so completely different. Does it need the tether? Yeah, you're right. It it could just be a movie about talking dolphins. It doesn't have to be connected to this. And I can imagine Tim Burton making a movie about a pod or a colony of talking dolphins who worship their progenitors, B and Fa. I mean, that would be a little bit, again, very on the nose. This is why well, the the James Cameron one ends with dolphins teaming up with good humans to defeat bad humans. The Tim Burton one feels like it's dolphins team up with humans to defeat bad dolphins. I don't know why. <laughs> the phrase Tim Burton's evil dolphin just kind of clicks. It's got something like that cellar door kind of perfect sentence structure. It just fits together somehow. It just does. I don't know why. My brain's doing that. <laughs> so I guess this is a rest in peace. I guess. And yet... I could see a reboot being interesting enough. I could see a reboot bringing in more modern science. Heck, if we want to pursue Don Willie's pursuits farther, we could have there are uh, psychotropic chem and you know, chemicals and, and neurotransmitters that are part of teaching humans how to speak dolphin and teaching dolphins how to speak human. And maybe they invent a third language that allows them to communicate with one another. Okay, completely different movie where I, a young reporter is investigating this scientist that has gone missing after a long time and starts finding out that they used to work on this project with dolphins and then they started going downhill over time and they're, they're, they're hunting down, they're kind of following the trail of places and projects this person started and abandoned and it ends with finding this guy on a small island out in the ocean, and he has taught every single marine creature in the area to talk somehow. And it's this weird, like, Island of Dr. Moreau kind of, like, craziness where it's like the crabs are talking in Morse code, and, like, the dolphins in the area can speak, and there's, like just do this entire wild other story where it's like, let him fall completely down the psychotropic drugs. And I taught one creature. I'll teach them all the rabbit hole. Is this the Island of Dr. Moreau or the Island of Dr. Doolittle? 
Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moreau Little. There's different story follow a different yeah. set of characters there, but if you you can mix those two and make that story as well. And now it's starting to see sound like a an origin story prequel to SpongeBob. <laughs> it really does. Why are there all these talking sea creatures running f- cafes? I- I'm sorry. Did that crab just type just Tap out the word money in Morse code. <laughs> it stole my wallet. What's happening? <laughs> that might be the Tim, Tim Burton movie, actually. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda, that might be the way it, it goes. Be, I can uh, see that. I'm thinking about Tim Burton's uh, Planet of the Apes, and it's, it's of a piece with that. Yeah, it's got that same sort of thing going on. So there we have it. I'm kind of interested in a reboot in a modern take on this sounds like you've had enough of it i kind of yeah i i i i want the video game i might want the lego set of this but i don't need any more past that (laughs) actually i think i had the lego set of this something close to it uh i remember those all the the all the undersea explorers i had like i loved the underwater sets i had all this underwater lego i've got little plastic lego dolphins and such i could build this one for sure (laughs) that would be pretty cool that would be pretty cool but this was fun glad you got a chance to see this i'm glad i got a chance to see this i i i don't think i've seen this since the mid seventies. Oh, you point. you don't go back and rewatch this all the time. <laughs> I don't. It's yeah. I didn't think it was one of those films. It, it, I wasn't sure we were going to be able to find it, but fortunately, one of the great streaming services that our library offers had it. I think it was on uh, Canopy. Canopy. Yeah, they rotate stuff out, but you know it'll probably pop up again. Yeah. So if you're interested, check your library. They may offer Canopy Absolutely. or some other service that gives you this. In the meantime. Since we all know how to talk, uh, where can they talk to you online, Dad? Uh, you can find me most places as by Matthew Porter. So you can go to bymatthewporter.com. I'm also by Matthew Porter on, on Twitter and on YouTube. And Ian, where can people find you? I can be found on Twitter as itemcrafting, on Twitch as itemcraftinglive, and at itemcrafting.com. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at IMMPCast, and you can find us online at IMMProject.com, and that's where you'll find all of our back episodes. You'll find a link to our Patreon. Thanks very much to anyone who's able to support us there. You'll find links to our contact page, our Discord, our YouTube channel, our shop, if you like coffee mugs and t-shirts and things. Uh, So by all means, anything you want to know about the podcast, I'm sure you can find it on IMMProject.com. And one more place you will be able to find us in about a month is we'll be doing our first live show. Our first live show. Yes. We will be at Nondescon in Denver, Colorado uh, on Friday night, September 2nd, 8 p.m. So if you're going to be at Nondescon, uh, please come by and, uh, and join us for a talk about the first anime that I ever watched as a kid. Oh, this is going to be fun. And if you're not yet planning to to uh, attend Nondescon, uh, check it out if you're anywhere near uh, Colorado. It's, go to ndkdenver.org for more information. So thank you very, very much just for downloading this episode, for listening with us, for sharing it with your friends. It's the best way to support the uh, the podcast is just to let people know about it. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with more tales of media from the 20th century. Time. In the meantime, go find something new to watch.
You can also probably teach your aquatic mammals to listen to podcasts. That'd help too.